often referred to as the melting pot of the world, a country defined by its multiple ethnic variations and diverse cultures. Immigration from Africa, Europe, and Asia, coupled with their own indigenous origins, have created a vast range of different traditions, beliefs, and physical appearances. Today, we will explore the fifth largest country in the world, which actually occupies half of the landmass of South America. If you have a mental picture of South America in your head, then you can clearly see the fascinating country of Brazil. People usually think of this country as a tropical paradise whose people are dancing and having a fun all day long. Rio's Carnival has helped to develop that image. However, only Rio de Janeiro and the Northeast apply to that prototype. Brazilian culture is much more than that. Ready to dive deeper? I'm Scott Parrish and you're listening to Dying to Eat. Each episode, we'll be exploring the relationship between food and death around the world. If you love food, culture, and fun stories, then we've got a great show for you. So make sure you stick around at the end to see what's cooking this week. And don't forget our sponsor, thetailoredhemp.com. High quality CBD products, legal throughout the U.S. Check them out online, thetailoredhemp.com. So, when studying the culture of Brazil, you might expect a similar trajectory across the country. But being the fifth most populous nation in the world, Brazilian people are actually a mixture of three cultures, Portuguese, African, and Native American. Which leads me to question for you, how many people speak Portuguese in this country? A Brazilian! <laughs> See what I did there? I got it off early this time. So, while all three cultures have an influence on these people, 99% of the nation does actually speak Portuguese. The only exceptions are certain indigenous groups and immigrants who have preserved their, uh, their native languages. There are major variations in the Portuguese language spoken in Brazil and in Portugal. In Brazil, there are shockingly no dialects, but there are a lot of regional variations in vocabulary and accent. Interestingly, the Brazilian sign language, Libras, is a descendant of the French sign language and is officially recognized by law, although it has limited use, obviously. Early in the intro, we mentioned the Brazilian Carnival. This is the country's most distinct ceremony and is responsible for a lot of the other nations' interpretation of what Brazil is all about. Carnival is an annual ceremony celebrated all over the country for 46 days before Easter as a form of farewell to bad omens and repentance before the death and resurrection of Jesus. For almost a week, there are intense celebrations, particularly in the coastal cities of Rio de Janeiro and Salvador, where Christians prayed and song and dance. Speaking of Jesus, Brazil is predominantly a Roman Catholic country with an estimated 65% of the population affiliated to the religion, which is extremely high knowing how much of a melting pot the country is. Catholicism's beliefs and practices tend to vary throughout the, the, this vast country, particularly in rural areas where the saints of the church are honored with a vow of pilgrimage. Symbolic representation of Brazil's religious affiliation is the colossal statue of Christ the Redeemer that stands on the summit of Mount Porcu Fado in Rio de Janeiro. This well-known statue has been seen in plenty of movies, including ones like the Fast and Furious movies. They made about a Brazilian of them, so I can't remember exactly which one. 
This monumental Christ the Redeemer statue was built using reinforced concrete and has an outer shell of six million soaked stone tiles. It's believed that the workers who made these tiles actually wrote notes on the back, meaning this iconic landmark is full of hidden messages. Now, I'm sure that a lot of the messages are more like, hey, Tom was here. But due to the statue's mountaintop position, it's prone to lightning, and it gets hit about three or four or five, six times a year. Even Jesus said in the book of Luke that he saw Satan fall like lightning. Ironically, prior to the FIFA World Cup in 2014, lightning struck and broke one of Jesus' thumbs. I mean, the statue's thumb. But don't worry, because Jesus heals and his thumb's back to normal now. Not only does Brazil use French sign language, they are the ones who actually built the statue of Christ. Whoever said nothing good came from the French. It only took them nine years and cost them a quarter million U.S. dollars, and that was back in 1922 when a quarter million dollars was a lot more money in value than it is now. Well, to me, it's still a lot of money, but two million people visit this statue every year. I'm sure that that number was a lot less in 2020 for obvious reasons. In Easter of 2011, 14,000 people visited the statue, which is only four years after this Christ statue was voted as one of the world's seven wonders of the world. While the statue is fascinating to learn about, what's even more fascinating is the amount of indigenous people living in Brazil. It's estimated that over 240 indigenous tribes live in Brazil. Approximately 900,000 people are actually living drastically different lives, and despite repeated exposure to other cultures, most have fiercely clung to their traditions, customs, and languages. There are also dozens of tribes that have never been in contact with the world beyond their own circle, which is really mind-blowing if you think about it, and a lot more intriguing than Catholicism. Indigenous people are the definition of what I would say, peace be with you. At least, that's how I imagine them. Let's discover more together. Now, while I was exploring the information there was on these indigenous people, I was expecting it to be a lot of peace, happiness, and solitude. I was shocked at what I really discovered. When I joked earlier about the peace be with you, I truly thought that they were left alone to do their own thing in the Amazon rainforest. But as it turns out, peace is the last thing they're getting. Indigenous Brazilians endure severe forms of discrimination and prejudice. As recently as the 1960s, there was a coordinated effort to eradicate Brazil's indigenous population entirely. Can we say genocide? The Figredo report details the genocide, torture, and rape, as well as enslavement of indigenous people over a 30-year period. The Figredo report was a lost, and I put that in air quotes, 7,000-page report into this torture, enslavement, and all these other horrible things of indigenous tribes during Brazil's military dictatorship. The Figredo report was a lost, and I put lost in air quotes, 7,000-page report into the genocide and other horrible things that happened to the indigenous tribe during Brazil's military dictatorship. It's been recently rediscovered, raising fresh questions about whether the government has made amends 
and punish those responsible. The report has not been seen for more than 40 years, but extracts, but extracts acquired by the Guardian reveal hundreds of alleged crimes and perpetrators. Submitted in 1967 by the public prosecutor Jader de Figredo Correa, the document details horrific abuse by the Indian Protection Service, it's widely known as the SBI, which was set up to improve the livelihoods of the indigenous communities, but often ended up as a mechanism to rob them of land or wipe them out with guns or poison. Man, what a horrible living. So anyway, this document caused, the international, caused an international storm when it was released, leading two years later to the foundation of the tribal rights organization called Survival International. Brazil, however, failed to jail a single person despite the initial charges against 134 officials allegedly involved in more than 1,000 crimes. The report was believed to have been destroyed by a fire in the agricultural ministry soon after it came out, prompting suspicions of a cover-up by the dictatorship and its allies among the big landowners. However, most of the document was discovered recently in a musty archive and is being examined by the National Truth Commission, which is investigating human rights violations between 1947 and 1988. Although the document has not been made public since its rediscovery, the Guardian has seen a scanned copy which Figredo describes the enslavement of indigenous people, the torture of children, and the theft of land. The number of victims is impossible to calculate. People were traded like animals. The Truth Commission believes that some tribes, such as the Manigno, were completely wiped out. In one case, Mateo Grosso, only in Mateo Grosso, now that's a city, okay? Only two survivors emerged to tell an attack on a community of 30 Santa Larga Indians with dynamite dropped from airplanes. Figredo also detailed how officials and landowners lethally introduced smallpox into isolated villages and donated sugar mixed with strychnine. Another page in the report documented how other officers made children beat their parents, brothers whipped their siblings, and forced women back to work immediately after giving birth. A truly evil operation took place against a people who have a fabulous Indian heritage and is well managed. They do not require a penny of government assistance to live a rich, healthy life in their vast domains. That's a direct quote from the report. This bombshell report was highly embarrassing for the military regime and a censorship press ensued and it was rarely mentioned again. Most of Brazil's main newspapers have largely ignored the rediscovery even though Figredo, the Figredo report was recently described by the Truth Commission as one of the most important documents produced by the Brazilian government in the last century. Marcelo Zelic the human rights lawyer who discovered the document amid 50 boxes of files in the Indian Museum in Rio de Janeiro said powerful vested interests were already trying to undermine the report because they fear they may appear in. This documentation, which was hidden for many decades, sheds light on complex situations that endure today. 
these states like Mateo Grosso do Sol, Piranha, Bahia, and Amazonas contains a lot of information that can be that can help reveal once and for all the truth behind many forms of violence against Indians and provide an insight into the real owners of the land that is being disputed. You would think after this report and exposing this genocide that many that things would go be better in the 21st century. Sadly, the period's brutal legacy lives on. Brazil's recently elected president, Ja, now I promised uh, one of my friends today I would pronounce this correctly, so let me try here. Jaé Bolsonaro. So Brazil's recently elected president, and I'm going to try my best to pronounce this pronounce this correctly because I promised a friend today that I would try. Uh, Jaé Bolsonaro has said it's a shame that Brazilian cavalry wasn't as efficient as the Americans who exterminated their Indians. Man, that's just horrible. And we're talking about today. So due to discrimination, Brazil's indigenous population's access to education and health care is limited compared to their non-indigenous counterpatriots. Uh, compatriots. In 2008, United Nations report highlighted the low education and health standards endured by this population. Also reports allege that they were they are often denied care by public health services due simply to their affiliation with indigenous groups. Many of Brazil's indigenous populations have been crowded into reservations that are constantly shrinking in size. Brazilian businesses and the government have partnered to continue the deforestation of the Amazon, which is the home to plenty of these indigenous tribes. The largest tribe left is the Gurani, with roughly 51,000 members, but most of their land has been replaced with cattle farms and sugarcane plantations. Armed bands of guerrillas, which are the people who possess lands from others by means of force, have recently launched attacks into indigenous communities, pushing them further into the Amazon and burning the rainforest and planting grass for cattle. The NGO reporter Brazil published a report in 2019 that found 14 indigenous communities that are currently being invaded or are seriously threatened by one. These conditions obviously have led to the reality where many of Brazil's indigenous population live in extreme poverty. I mean, you'd be too if you had to move every few months, am I right? So, pushed from native lands and facing serious threats to life, Many members of indigenous groups are doing what they can to survive in a nation often hostile and violent towards them. Today, we are seeing the biggest, the biggest attack on our rights in Brazilian history, said the indigenous lawmaker, Joni Wapchona. Crew Wheat, the elderly male chief of the Alcrate village, has declared his tribe's enemy is none other than Brazil's new president, Jai Bo Sono Aro. Hey, how'd I do then? Crew Wheat tells the group as their bodies are patterned with black fruit dye, which is a sign of war, we are ready to go to war against any misstep from the president. He wants to reduce our land, he wants to end our traditions, 
and we are warriors defending our rainforest, our river, and our culture. Let's keep the indigenous people of Brazil in our hearts and thoughts and prayers. So let's switch gears here. We spoke earlier about how wide-range Brazil is from the diverse cultures living in the nation. The north of Brazil is the home to many of the indigenous people that we just spoke of. The Amazon is a lifeline to the animals as well as the millions of people that reside there, providing opportunities for fishing, hunting, and basic means of survival. It's also subjected to the deforestation to give away to farmland and illegal gold mining. Brazilian folklore is an important aspect of the North's culture, with annual festivals dedicated to specific legends and beliefs. One of the biggest is the Boy Boomba Party, which is a three-day party which celebrates the legend of a bull that died and was resurrected. The northeast of Brazil has the largest population of African descendants. It has a warm climate all year round, and the rich soils have turned it into an important agricultural hub. The area is also considered poor, though its stunning beaches and breathtaking national parks attract tourism, which helps boost the local economy. Traces of African culture remain clearly evident in the local music, religion, and food. Places such as Salvador and Olinda are well known for their traditional carnival performances and vibrant street parties. Oro is a popular Brazilian genre of music that is typical in the most in the northeast and especially heard during the Festa Junina parties. That's a festival in June that celebrates St. John the Baptist. The Central West is known for its dry climate and abundance of national parks and exotic wildlife. It's also home to many of Brazil's indigenous populations and to Brazil's capital city, Brasilia. It's here that all the political decisions that drive and shape the country are made, and it also serves to display some of Brazil's finest architectural monuments made by the celebrated architect Oscar Niemeyer. Niemeyer. In the state of Goiás, the Festa do Divino is celebrated each year and is one of the region's most important cultural events, commemorating, commemorating the Holy Spirit and the Twelve Apostles. One of the most visited regions in Brazil, the Southeast, which is home to Minozera Ice, uh, that's a state known for its hearty food and colonial architecture. A couple of our favorite things on Dying to Eat, as you already know. The Southeast already includes famous city, also includes famous cities like Rio de Janeiro and San Paulo. The mix of cultures here is extremely diverse, with traces of African and European immigration across the region. San Paulo has the largest community of Japanese immigrants in the world outside of Japan, and as a result, is home to several authentic Japanese restaurants and cultural influences. One of the most famous cultural attractions in this region is Carnival with Rio de Janeiro receiving the highest number of tourists in Brazil during this, this time. There are over 2 million people in the streets every day for Carnival. Oh, and if you missed it the first time, it lasts 46 days. So save up your sick days and your vacation days. That's going to be a party to remember. Southern Brazil consists of the richest region in the country. It is heavily influenced by European immigration 
Typically, German architecture, cuisine, and events that are celebrated each year. There is a higher number of fair skin and pale eyes in the south of Brazil than any other region. One of the most famous celebrations in the south is, and you wouldn't guess this if you didn't know it no matter how hard you try, Oktoberfest. A copy of the original festival in Munich that celebrates German traditions with plenty of beer, regional cuisine, typical music, and dance. The climate in the south is temperate and winters can drop to zero degrees. Bet you never would have imagined that before you started to listen to this, huh? So, let's talk briefly about the family values and norms in Brazil. Family is of paramount importance to the Brazilian people and grown-up children often remain with their parents until they marry. Extended family members tend to keep close ties with one another and elderly parents are looked after, often living with one of their children. Historically, families, family sizes are quite large, but in recent decades, people are having less children, particularly in the more urban areas. Marriage was once viewed as a religious observance and legally binding. However, in the last four decades, attitudes have changed and civil marriage is becoming more common. Crazy to think about this, but divorce was not legalized until 1977 due to opposition from the Catholic Church. As much as Brazil seems to emulate godly values, women surprisingly make up 40% of the Brazilian workforce and are typically found in lower paying jobs such as teaching, administrative support, and nursing. Despite the job titles, the Leaders and Daughters Global Survey in 2017 ranked Brazilian women as number one globally in ambition and career development as the distinction between gender roles in Brazil today still tends to be dictated by class, race, and geography. Women residing in the urbanized areas are more predisposed to higher occupational and educational options. Part of this growth for women has been in large part due to the Afro-Brazilian feminist movement who have been fighting for racial and gender inclusion for more than 40 years. Well, I'm sure the common folk of Brazil, you know, the 99% that speak Portuguese, I'm sure they have a tradition, traditional burial style and death rites that we've seen here in North America. But I want to discuss the Yo, the Yan Omami tribe that resides in the Amazon rainforest. It's a little ways away from the Brazilian coast. They live both in the northern part of Brazil and in the southeastern region of Venezuela. Because of that, they've managed to partially avoid the slave hunting bundeta of the Portuguese Empire. This protected, to an extent, the Yanomami from mass killings. Additionally, it allowed them to keep their beliefs and practices around the death relatively intact. According to the Yanomami beliefs, death is not part of life, nor a natural end in their beliefs, death is often the result of magic by a shaman from an enemy tribe. Specifically, they believe that these shamans summon and direct evil spirits against people. Yeah, I know. It sounds like they eat a lot of mushrooms. I get it. Uh, it gets even more interesting, though. Just bear with me. Therefore, purification rituals after death are absolutely necessary. Due to the impure nature of death, the Yanomami do not bury the body. Instead, they let them be for about a month so that nature can take its course. A month. 
think about that. We've talked about in other episodes of people keeping their dead ones at home, their past and deceased relatives at home, but we're talking about just leaving them out in nature here. And remember, this is all outside. That has got to be the most ranked body around. And I don't understand really how they can keep the animals and insects off of it. Well, they let it ride, and after 30 days of Amazon trial, they cremate the corpse in order to purify it. Uh, I don't know if you got that or not, Amazon trial, because they live in the Amazon. Okay, no, maybe, whatever. Let's keep going. Hey, let me ask you, do you like soup? How about man soup? That sounds horrible. I know. I don't even know where to go with that one. Let's stay on the let's stay on the nice trail though. The soup can be pure and free only if it's one last ritual takes place, consuming the cremated ashes. Specifically, they prepare soup with fermented bananas, herbs, and other ashes of the dead. Every member of the community has to consume the human soup in one city. And you thought drinking, or you thought eating beets was bad. I just don't like beets, but I think human soup is way over the top. The thing about it is, think about this, though. It is the ashes. They're not actually eating the people, I guess. I don't know. It's hard to get your mind around. It's hard for me to get my mind around. However, if a, war, if a warrior from another tribe killed a Yomami, Yon Omami, that's one word I can say. There are additional purification steps. In this case, the tribe may not eat the ashes before they have fully avenged the death of their fellow villager. So, you got to kill somebody before you can eat your human soup. Talk about demonic energies. Oh my God. During the night before they attack, the men have to prepare for battle. At the same time, women then start consuming the soup. One of the only times I'd say, no, please, ladies first. They finish the meal only once avenging the dead is complete. Finally, the Yanomami use cremated ashes for other occasions as well. This includes healing rituals and the Riho. That's a memorial ceremony for the dead. Now we could go even darker on, uh, on another tribe ritual, but I, I think that we've really kind of had our fill of the soup. Let go of this one, and let's go on to something that's a little bit lighter. Another ritual of the dead is a Warupi performed annually by approximately 15 Zenyu tribes. One of these tribes are the Yowalapiti, who live in the Zenyu National Park. They prepare several days for the Warupi, which nowadays is almost adopted like a festival-like air. Activities include playing music and dancing, but also wrestling matches between men from the same and from different tribes. Adult men color their bodies using seeds and oils, and the tribe leaders pray together over the dead. Additionally, family members usually paint and decorate tree trunks together. The tree trunks represent the deceased of that family. According to customs, family members remain close to the tree trunks while singing and mourning. Doesn't that sound so much more loving and sweet than having to eat that ashy soup? Originally, the Kwarupi was a funeral rite that was aimed at bringing back the dead. Nowadays, it focuses on celebrating the life as well as the death. 
Additionally, it's a way for the uh, Zenyu to collectively grieve and honor important deceased in their villages. Also, the Kwarupi is an opportunity for girls that have menstruated for the first time to present themselves as women. Now, I, I realize that a lot of this was stuff that could take you back living in a more cultured country that is less rural. But these are what these people grew up with. This is traditions that were handed down for a long time. So let's try to be respectful of where they're coming from anyway. So back to the women. The women in the tribe announce that have ministrated. The women in the tribe announce that someone's funeral that they had their first period. These girls or other women wear ornaments and dance during the festival. This way, they not only honor the dead, but they also show that they're available for marriage. Wow. Brazil, you have opened up my eyes to a lot of things. Now, one of the things that uh, you definitely opened my eyes to that I really love is what we're going to talk about now, the food. Feijoada, the national dish of Brazil. Actually popular in many countries like Portugal, Mozambique, and Angola, there are a few versions uh, of what its possible origin really is. The most popular is feijoada, was created by slaves throwing black beans and leftover meat scraps in a pot. In fact, I think this is maybe how Chipotle got its start, but I'm not sure. I don't agree with this version, and I fall to one of the other popular schools of thought that this pork, beef, and bean stew actually comes from European settlers. See, beans are a mainstay in settlements throughout time. Adding random cuts of meat makes sense as settlers lived off the land. Plus, this dish is hearty. Regardless of social status or wealth, it's very flavorful and can be made really easy. Now, i got to give you a spoiler alert here. I'm going to show you how to make this. I'm not doing the easy version. So, regardless of its origins, feijoada remains a truly celebrated dish in Brazil. Also, versions not only differ from region to region, but from house to house. Some include black beans, while others have red. Salted pork and smoked sausage are common, and there's a wide range of possible vegetables, from plantains, kale, potatoes, carrots, cabbage, and even pumpkin. In the end, this slow-cooked dish is a comfort food that is extremely satisfying. The recipe I'm going to share with you today made 28 pounds. That's right, 28 pounds of stew. Now, you don't have to go out and feed an army, though I can tell you that the feijoada I made was eaten very quickly. This isn't about teaching you about barbecue either, so I'm going to save the rib recipe for another episode. But let's start with seven pounds of spare ribs which i coated with mustard covered with my favorite rib rub and i smoked them for six hours next you'll need a five and a half pound boneless sirloin roast one head of chopped garlic four tablespoons of unsalted butter one pound of diced celery two pounds of diced carrot one large chopped onion four bay leaves five pounds of black beans 20 excuse me, 64 ounces of beef stock, 32 ounces of chicken stock, and salt and pepper to taste. Note that you will have to soak the beans overnight if you're using fresh instead of canned. So, here's the recipe. Melt your butter in a medium-sized pot over medium heat. 
saute your garlic and onions. Next, add your carrots and your celery. Stir frequently to keep it from burning. If needed, and it starts sticking a little bit, add a little bit beef broth in there just to help. Once the onion begins to turn translucent, add the black beans, the beef, and chicken stocks. Carefully slide the roast into the liquid and make sure that it's totally submerged. Add bay leaves and liberal amounts of salt and pepper. Turn up the heat and allow the stew to come to a boil. Then turn the heat down to simmer. Cook and cover for two hours. You'll know when it's ready by checking the internal temperature of the beef. It should be about 140 degrees Fahrenheit. While the stew's cooking, take three pounds of chorizo sausage links. Cut into half-inch thick pieces and pan fry. What you're looking to do here is to get the sausage a little crispy. When finished, set it to the side. We'll come back to it. Now once your roast is finished cooking, remove the stew from the heat. Take the roast out of the liquid and put it on a cutting board to cool. Be careful because it's going to be very hot. Once it's cool enough to handle, shred the roast and throw the meat back into the pot along with the chorizo. Now, when you plate, when you plate the fajawada, place white rice on the plate. Top with cooked collard greens. I actually pan fried mine. See, you want something new. I'm always going to give you something new. Place one or two ribs on the greens and ladle a hearty portion of the stew over everything. You are now ready to dig in. And don't worry if you have leftovers. Like many of these stews, in my opinion, it gets better over a few days of sitting, sitting in the fridge. I've been your host, Scott Parrish, and I'd like to thank you for listening to Dying to Eat. A special shout out to Nick Duccio in Florence, Italy and owner of Duccio Street Food. Thanks for your support, buddy. This show is made possible by listeners like you, and if you like what you've heard and you'd like to hear more, look out for new episodes every week on your favorite podcast platform. Make sure to drop us a like and follow the show on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date on our latest episodes. And until next time, stay lively.